The Fake Show is brought to you by Threads of Envy, the law firm of Hutchison and Stefan, the Craft House Brewery, the Tone Factory Recording Studio, Moonshot.com T-shirt designs, and by Mr. Antenna. Now your host, Jim Tofty. I have loved the Smithereens ever since their debut album, especially for you in the mid-80s. They didn't sound like anything else on the radio, not only because of Pat Tanizio's great vocals, but also because of Jim Babjack's ripping lead guitar, and he's certainly responsible for some of the great riffs in rock and roll. I was able to track Jim down on the road as the band is once again on tour with original bassist Mike Maceros, drummer Dennis Dyken, and the incredible guest vocalist Marshall Crenshaw. Jim Babjack is on the line right now. Hey, Jim. It's Jim Babjack from the Smithereens. Jim, how are you, buddy? So great to talk to you. We love the Smithereens here in Las Vegas. Thank you. (laughs) I know Pat was there for a while. Yes, yes. And I'll get into our history with Pat in just a bit. Are are you guys making a stop here on the current tour? I wish. (laughs) No, we... Uh, we wanted to because we're going to be in Arizona in October, but uh didn't work out financially, I suppose. Right, and I've been following your exploits on social media. It looks like you're having a great time. Oh, yeah. The first time I saw you guys play here in Las Vegas was at a rock club, I believe, called Calamity Janes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, uh, early... 90s, but it was notorious for great shows like yours and Iggy Pop and Depeche Mode. It was just a great place to see a show. Yeah. And your show was wonderful because, you know, we got to get up close and personal. Did you, did you and do you like playing the smaller venues like that? Because I know you are one to wander in the crowd while you're playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, I do that. Um, well, I don't jump off the stage anymore. But, uh, <laughs> You know, even when we play the the bigger uh, places, um, they'll put up barricades, and, and I'll tell the man or whoever's in charge, they'll say, "Get rid of the barricades." I I like when people are right up against the stage. I love that. Yeah, we were talking about Pat Denizio, and he would call our morning show from time to time to uh, promote upcoming shows, which he did a few times. I'm, in fact, we became close enough with Pat that he actually recorded one of our parody songs called I Love Cats, which is kind of a sick and twisted little tune. (laughs) (laughs) That's Pat. Yeah, I'll I'll have to send you a copy. And he actually would record songs for people anyway, wouldn't he? You know, I don't know. At that time, um, I I had to get a day job uh, when when things were kind of tough. So I was working a day for like 19 years i wanted to come visit him in vegas when he was doing that uh, residency but right right as i was going to take some time off to go um it it ended (laughs) but um no he kind of uh he was doing his thing i was raising my three kids and and just you know playing with the band whenever we had gigs and recording uh but other than that we we didn't see each other much off the road Um, I was lucky enough to see one of Pat's living room concerts where you would uh, get in touch with him, pay a certain fee, and he would show up at your house and play for 40 or 50 of your closest friends. It was the weirdest and coolest show I think I've ever seen. I've done a few with them, uh, at least least 10 of them, because people asked me to join on that. Nice. it, It was, I see some of it on YouTube occasionally, and it's... It's quite charming, I think, and and, uh, for a fan, I think it's a great thing. Yeah, it was really cool, and it was kind of surprising because he showed up, knocked on the door, he was alone, which was kind of surprising. I figured he'd have (laughs) 
I don't know why I thought he'd have a bodyguard or something, but he just showed up by himself and he couldn't have been nicer. He said hi to everybody and stuck around and had a beer. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the early 2000s, I introduced you guys as you were promoting your awesome album, Meet the Smithereens, an album of Beatle covers. Whose idea was that? Because it turned out to be a pretty great thing, didn't it? Yeah, it was Pat's idea. Well, at the time, no record company... <laughs> any record company wanted to uh give us a chance uh, you know sign us to do an original album crazy there was a there was a deal with this other company it was it was pat's idea and they they wanted a tribute album that was like the thing they they thought would sell um i suppose they were right you know but we really wanted to record an original album which we didn't get to do till later but it turns out that it got a major it got major reviews everywhere including the New York Times, like a, a full weekend section, two-page spread yeah. in the center. And, and people, you know, and social media was kind of new then. And uh, they're like, oh, we thought you broke up, you know? And uh, I don't know. <laughs> we, we've, been, we've been playing <laughs> this whole time. We never stopped. There hasn't been a month we haven't stopped playing. Even when Pat was in Vegas, we would, you know, he would still take time off to go play with us. Well, your performance of the Beatles "Don't Bother Me" is just one of my favorite songs ever. It's just so great. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, I, I couldn't sing that. Like, what what happened was uh, when we were in the studio, I had the headphones on, and I just I said, you know what? Just put the speakers on in the studio. Let me hear it like as if I'm playing live. And then I did it in one take, which was great. Really? Uh, yeah. I, I really enjoyed doing that. Like I did it without headphones, and uh, <laughs> it was somehow it worked out. And um, I, I actually like that version too. Yeah, um, I'm not really happy with my voice most of the time, but um, I, I like that one. I, yeah. I sure did too, and I and I liked watching it live as well. Did you ever hear? Because you did get a little notice for it. You were you were saying, um, did you hear from any of the Beatles, like Paul or Ringo? Uh, Dennis did. Uh, oh, geez, I forget. He did. He did hear from um, somebody's camp, I, I think, yeah. George, Olivia. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. Um, I forgot all about that until you just mentioned it. Yeah, Somebody as, asked me the other day if I ever met any of the Beatles. I'm like, nah, I never met any of them. And then I'm like, wait a minute, I did. I, I met Paul one time. <laughs> I just totally <laughs> forgot about it. Isn't it amazing how, well, y you've done so many shows over the years and and met so many people that you just, you can lose track of stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not like, and I hate when people name drop and all that. So I, I kind of just stay away from that uh, because <laughs> then it sounds like you're, you know, whatever. <laughs> but it, it was Buddy <laughs> Holly's birthday uh, party at in New York at, at this place. And uh, Paul was there. So we were talking to him about, you know, I, I actually told him how sorry I was that Linda passed away because it was like a year, a year, not even a year. And um and then Chubby Checker walks up, interrupts our conversation, and opens his lapel jacket and puts an envelope in his in his pocket. And then he starts talking to Paul. I'm like, "What the hell? What does that mean?" <laughs> <You> <laughs> Chubby Checker, uh, he he killed it. You know? He, oh man. He ruined it. <laughs> you ruined it for me. Well, like I say, uh, I've been following this current tour on social media, and you've got Marshall Crenshaw, who's one of my favorites, working with you guys. How did you connect with him, and how much fun has that been? Uh, 
total total fun yeah. uh we we met probably in 1980 i think is when we first opened for him uh at a club and then he he's actually on our first record and he played on some of our early demos he plays keyboards on our first album strangers when we meet and he plays baritone guitar on uh, white castle blues um he's he's been a friend of ours since then and uh but on the album, he was credited as Jerome Jerome, so people didn't really know it was him. <laughs> and he jokingly says now the reason he changed his name for the album is because he found out Pat wasn't going to pay him. <laughs> oh. but, but I think uh, I think it was because uh, he was on Warner Brothers. I mean, he just didn't want that hassle. We've been friends for a long time. He's had a few hits of his own. Does he play that material when you guys are up on stage? I'm assuming he does. No. No. No, no people ask, but no, it's a Smithereen show. He wants to be one of the guys. And he That's even says, great. He even says, I, I don't want to be Marshall. I want to be uh, you know, in the Smithereens. When, Jer- when Jerome, Jerome, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was it like to go out there the first time without Pat uh, as the Smithereens? Mm. That was strange because I, I, well, first of all, Pat would cue me. I I listen to the band when I'm playing. Uh, I'm I'm listening to the drums and the bass and everything, and I'm really like sometimes I close my eyes and and Pat would yell out Jimmy when it's time to do my solo, and I'm like that's how I knew like <laughs> when I was supposed to take a solo. I mean I know when to take a solo, uh, but but it it, it kind of helped me. You know, just focus. Yeah, focus better on that part. Yeah, you know, his sense of humor. You know, just uh, a lot of things. You know, um, it's uh, it, it, it was strange. It was strange being on stage with him. But you know, the fans make it worthwhile because um, and and just playing with Dennis. You know, my, my friend since we were fourteen years old. My God, and and uh, you know now we're sixty five. Yeah, so been over 50 wow over 50 years we've been friends so i feel like a teenager when i'm up there so you know for that reason i i I won't stop until i have to um and as long as people want to hear the hear the songs and also you know we're we still have a lot in us we're going to be recording a new record with uh marshall and with robin wilson new original songs that i'm working on nice yeah i'm glad to hear that what were the reasons that mike was mike uh, maceros your original bass player is just he wanted more family time is that why he stepped away originally yeah yeah we never really talked about it he just stepped away for a while he came back and uh He's back with us now, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Yeah, and it felt like, he, you know, it's funny. An 11-year absence, and when he started playing with us, it's as if it was the next day. It's it's really uncanny. Like, and you're, you're finishing conversations you had <laughs> back then. It seems like that time just all went away, you know? I heard stories that in, I think it was the late 80s, he was approached by the Ramones, maybe Joey Ramone, to join them, but he declined. Yep. Yeah, he did get a call from Joey. Well, we were friends with those guys, too. We toured with them. Yeah. And, um, yeah, D.D., that's when D.D. left, sometime in the late 80s, and and Mike had to say no, because we were at the top of our game at the time and, you know, doing world tours. So, you know, I I don't think he could have done both. Um, You're talking about guest appearances. You mentioned Robin Wilson and Susan Cowsill has also been around too. Both friends of our morning show. Just great people, aren't they? Oh, Susan's the best. I'm, yeah. I'm working on a song with her too. 
uh, a brand new song. And I don't know if you know, but a, a song that I wrote back on the blow up album called Now and Then, I had the, the Cow Sills come and, and do all the background vocals on that. That's fantastic. And I remember other guest appearances from earlier albums like Del Shannon, for God's sake, and Belinda yeah. Carlisle. Of course, Suzanne Vega famously singing on A Lonely Place sounds so great. Um, it, it's very much reminiscent of, I don't know, Sergio Mendes in Brazil 66 or Astrid Gilberto from that type of a band. Yeah, Pat, Pat actually approached Astrid <laughs> to, <laughs> to do it. She declined. But uh, And Suzanne Vega, Pat knew from work, they worked together. This is before both of us were signed. And, in an and, office, right? Yeah, and Suzanne actually had to fire Pat because, <laughs> uh, well, her their boss said, you have to fire him because you're his friend. Because uh, uh. he was making flyers for for our band playing in Greenwich Village and using the, the, the company copier. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great story. It probably wasn't so much at the time, but uh, what a... What oh, a... I mean, Pat didn't care. I mean, it, was, it, was, it wasn't like a, a career. It was just a job, you know, to pay the rent. <laughs> oh, what a great line. You have to fire him because you're his friend. <laughs> yeah. When I first heard Blood and Roses on the radio, it just jumped out of the speakers with such a gritty sound. I mean, it was one of those songs that was there for several months on our radio station anyway. Who knew? I we didn't know. No, I mean, no, no, no clue. I mean, and it was buried in the album, like on the second side, like the fourth song or something. We didn't think it was going to be a single. The, the, what happened was it, it got into a movie and then uh, they made a video for MTV and then it snowballed. You know, when New York started playing it and they made all the other stations, you know, uh, it snowballed. And, and the first time I heard it on the radio, I'm like, yeah, this sounds great. I didn't think of it that way. Be and. The funny thing, too, on that tour is I went into a record stop, a shop and I'm looking under rock and I, I couldn't find a record. I asked the clerk, "Where you know, you have the new Smithereens record. They said, oh, it's under it's in the uh, alternative section. And I'm like, what, what's that? What, uh -huh. I never heard of. I didn't know what alternative. was." <laughs> right. <laughs> it was us and the replacements and R.E.M., I think. And yeah, and, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I, I had no idea when and it goes to show we, we just did what we wanted to do. You know, that that first album, um, we weren't on Capitol Records proper. We were on Enigma. We recorded sick that and Behind the Wall Sleep before we even had a record deal. Those are mm. those are half demos. Don Dixon came in and just polished them up a little bit. Actually, not by much. I mean, he added a maracas and something else uh, or, or the shaker, but um, and mixed it. So but. But those songs were done as demos, and every record company in the United States and Europe declined. They they passed on it. Oh my God! On, on that and behind the wall of sleep. So there you go. I I didn't think anything would happen really. So at the time, who is suggesting to you guys, if anyone, who, what the single, the next single would be at the time? I mean, what yeah, advice were you getting? It. We thought it was going to be Strangers When We Meet. That's why we put it as the first song on the, on yeah. the first song. And in Europe, it came out as a single, but but not here. Well, I'll bet in Brazil, uh, in a lonely place, sure went over well. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. You know, we never made it there. I, or. We had a booking agent, Jorge Cavedo, and he also booked the Ramones. He signed us to premiere because he, he loved us. He loved the Ramones. 
And he says, uh, "We got. I got to bring you down to South America." And I said, "Oh, are you kidding? Do they like rock down there?" And he goes, "Oh yeah, sure. They love the Ramones." But he ended up uh, passing away, and uh, we ended up getting a different booking agent, and then uh, we never made it down there. I wish we would have. Did you ever play at CBGB? Yeah. That's actually where we got signed to premiere with, with Jorge Cavedo. He came to see us at a showcase there. Fantastic. Um, getting back to Blood and Roses, didn't Nissan use your riff in a commercial? Yeah. yeah <laughs> so, oh. Well, I didn't get paid for it because uh, right. I didn't have songwriting credit, and it, it really kind of ticked me off because— yeah. You know, I should have gotten credit because it's it's my, you know, I had that riff before I even met Pat and something I came up with in high school. And that, that's what happened with a lot of Pat's songs. It would be my riffs and, and definitely my solos and, and all the, the same things that I did to his demos. And um, that was a bone of contention for a while. That's why by by the by the mid 90s, uh, we, we started sharing the publishing and, and the songwriting because we were all involved in, in the songs. Um, Jim, do you think artists today are better prepared to deal with all the, the publishing and songwriting rights yeah. and royalties and stuff? Oh, there's so much information out there now. I, I didn't know anything about publishing when we got signed. I, I just assumed all four of us would be splitting everything equally <laughs> and with all the work we did. And, uh, but uh, yeah, it didn't really work out that way. <laughs> yeah. When a girl like you was released, I'm assuming that you know, I because I think it was maybe the highest ranked hit song that you guys had. I'm assuming that you were playing then bigger venues and and there was more touring involved as a result. Yeah. And was that yeah. the way? Was that the way you were making your money then? You if you were touring, that was it for you guys. Oh yeah, it was definitely through touring. I, I don't think we've made in anything in royalties uh, even though we've sold well you know I, I do want to put out a book someday and, and a lot of people know this now but uh when you record an album uh everything comes out of it the producer fee the uh, studio uh the videos uh we owe them money <laughs> and we <laughs> sold like four million albums altogether, and uh you know, it just adds up. And I didn't know at the time that, you know, every time they took you out to dinner or got a limousine for you or or you got some when you do an in-store, you get some CDs for free or whatever. That all gets charged back to you. And, uh, and they unreal. just find things to charge back to you. It's like going to get a car. Right. And, and they go, well, if you want the undercoating, it'll cost this. If you want uh, the floor mats, you know, that's extra. So, I mean, it was really nickel and dime stuff. And, and I had no idea. And uh, but the publishing doesn't get touched, you know, so that's where the uh, that's where the money is. And once I found that out, I'm like, hey, <laughs> we got to stop this, you know. Yeah, it's it's kind of uh, one of those stories that so many bands have have gone through. And um, I'm assuming with you guys, you know, you mentioned CBGB. Great memories have to include for you Carnegie Hall and and maybe SNL those appearances. Yeah, somebody brought that up the other day, and I'm like, SNL was just. It was actually just another day on the tour. We were in Boston and then did the rehearsal on Thursday, Saturday live. We did the live thing and then we were off to Canada. We were we were in on the tour at the time for for the Eleven album. So uh, I wish I had more time to like I don't know uh, soak it in, right? Soak it in, yeah. yeah. You know, I you know it's funny. I we we just played in California recently and and. I'm on. I'm looking for the end of the line of my group, you know, because I have groups now. So 
I, I see this guy and I'm like, uh, hey, is this the end of the line? Uh, uh, group one. And he go, and, and it's John Lovitz. And I'm like, hey, John. <laughs> uh, hey, I'm, I'm Jim from the Smithereens. We were on the SNL with you in 1991. And so we, we had a nice little chat. He was on his way back to L.A. And uh, so, yeah, it's been on my mind lately. And when when Austin Powers came out, I was telling my kids how I was on the show with uh, w- with him, and um, they didn't believe me. So, oh, that's <laughs> I found fantastic! An old video cassette of it, you know. Uh, you know, it's funny you bring up Lovitz. You'll appreciate this when the joint here at the Hard Rock opened in the '90s. They invited you know radio people and celebrities to sit for what was a I think a three day event of all these different bands. It was everyone from the Eagles to Guns N' Roses and Sheryl Crow. And so you'd see these tables filled with different celebrities. They actually paired people up. And there was John Lovitz sitting next to Johnny Rotten of the Sex Pistols. It was really bizarre, but they were talking to each other throughout the whole evening. They must have enjoyed it. Wow. (laughs) That is an unusual pairing. So tell me about this much-anticipated Lost album by the Smithereens. What is the history, and where can we uh, get our hands on it? Wow. Well, right now, it's uh, through Amazon. um, And then, you know, uh, maybe later, we'll we'll be selling it at gigs, too. Well, we... uh, in 1993, I uh, I was having my my house built, the one that I'm in right now, a brand new house, and I had two young kids at the time, a third one on the way, and we lost our record deal, the Capital. Uh, I was on the phone with Butch Vig a couple of times, he, he the producer of, of uh, nice. Everyone, yeah, and he's the one that was telling me how Kurt really loved my guitar sound, and and um, they were a being it when they were recording. Never mind, to try to get that that gritty sound but uh so we worked with him on a, on a christmas single called rudolph the red-nosed reindeer one of the last things we did for capital so you know we wanted to see how we work with him and um so you know i had conversations with him about some songs i was writing and then all of a sudden he wasn't answering calling me back and i'm like something's weird you know because he was so friendly and he had these ideas yeah and then then i hear from our manager that uh uh, Capital just dropped us. They want younger mm. and uh, more alternative, not more alternative grunge bands. I think was was the in thing. Sure. And I'm like, oh man, you know, um, okay. I'm in the middle of having this house built. <laughs> so, the, you know, the Smithereens. If you know our history, we've always been survivors. You yeah. know, it t- took us for four guys to stay together for six years. Uh, before we got a record deal, playing in clubs for $25 a night. You know, we put out our own records, independent records back then. And so we said, you know, what the hell? We'll go to a studio and start recording again, whatever we got. You know, it was like a, a mixed bag of, of things we had, like um, two albums worth of material. And then we get signed to RCA and we took half that material, re recorded it, and it became Date with the Smithereens in 1994 yeah Uh, but the other half we just kind of forgot about it we didn't think to re-record any of it because it was at a time where we were you know pat was going through a divorce we were you know uh, it was uh, a lot of weird stuff was going on and uh we just kind of forgot about it and that's basically what happened and since you know pat passed away i was you know looking at our old archives and um you know, old tapes and everything. I found that and I'm like, wow, I think people would love to hear this, especially now that Pat's gone. 
um, to hear him youthful again and mm-hmm. whatever we were working on at the time. It's like um, it's like a time capsule of 1993 of something that never never was. So and now we don't have to be on a record de- rate label. We we're putting yeah. it out pretty much on our own. Our, our manager is putting it out on his label, and um, you know it, it's great. When we're gonna probably do two of the t- couple of new songs from it live because it's fun. It's a fun record. Can't wait to hear it. And uh, it's been so nice of you to spend time with me to talk about the uh the past days especially here in las vegas and and i'm so glad you're back out there on tour hopefully we'll get you here in las vegas one of these days jim so nice to talk to you i appreciate it yeah same here in vegas is uh i have a warm place in my heart for vegas because i quit smoking there in nine in uh, 2001 <laughs> wow uh, january 4th uh, we were doing a we were doing a convention there or something and uh, I knew I wanted to quit but not on January 1st because I was there so I put my last cigarette out on the floor of the Mirage on <laughs> <laughs> my way to the airport <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing I don't think I've heard anyone say they quit smoking in Las Vegas I think a lot of people started here but <laughs> I wanted to go out with a bang Jim thanks so much great talking to you good luck on the rest of the tour. Thank you, Jim. Hope to see you in Vegas sometime. All right, buddy. Thank you. I love that Jim says that being on stage makes him feel like a teenager again because it's the first time that he met original drummer Dennis Dyken when they first started playing together. And man, you could just feel the angst in his voice when he was talking about all that songwriting and publishing rights stuff over the years and owing the record company money for all the hard work they did. So many bands went through that. Unfortunately, the Smithereens were one of them. But once again, they're out there touring and sounding better than ever. I hope that they stop in our area sometime soon. Well, that does it for this episode of the Fake Show podcast. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Jim Tofty. I'll see you next time. Listen to The Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com. But till she's here, please don't come here, just stay away, I'll let you know.